Hi, and welcome back to Love and Quarantine. I'm your host, Carly Shortino. So today we're gonna be talking about sex work in the era of quarantine. Now, obviously it's difficult to maintain social distancing during sex work given the whole point of it, but surprisingly, the sex industry has been booming during this pandemic and in large part because sex workers are finding ways to connect with their clients online. But it's not all what you would expect. It's not like, oh, instead of going to a strip club or seeing an escort, now I'm going to pay a sex worker to just strip for me on a campsite. There are actually a lot of new and innovative ways that clients and providers are connecting, like everything from naked virtual book clubs to clients paying escorts to be their text girlfriend. So today we're going to talk to an escort whose business is doing really well during this time. But first, to give you a somewhat related personal story, when I was 24, I moved to New York from London and I was a freelance writer, like truly broke, living in this disgusting railroad apartment in Bushwick with an actual hoarder. And I was writing an article for Vice about a dominatrix. And I didn't really know that much about BDSM back then. Like this was in 2010. So it was before Fifty Shades of Grey came out and like suddenly you could buy a whip at CVS. <laughs> um, yeah, so it just wasn't that much in the mainstream. And so I signed up to write this article and to shadow this dominatrix for a few days. So she was a really prominent dominatrix in New York, and she did sessions out of her apartment in the West Village, and her living room was set up like a dungeon. I remember it was so scary. Like I walked in and she had these glass bookshelves, but instead of books in them, it was just full of truly the world's most terrifyingly large dildos. Uh, I was like, okay, those are just literally weapons. And then where most people would have a couch, she just had a literal morgue table, like from an actual, like a morgue going out of business sale. Like I have no idea. Anyway, I was like, okay, this bitch is crazy. But then after being there for 10 minutes, it was obvious that she was so sweet. Um, so anyway, I just basically sat there in her apartment for three days, like awkwardly, like taking notes in my notepad while she did sessions. And um, like I said, I admittedly had a kind of two-dimensional idea of what the dominatrix client relationship was. Like I kind of assumed she put on a latex catsuit and like some banker would come in and she would just like beat them up, <laughs> which I mean, rumors are true. That is part of it. But really... That's just what's on the aesthetic surface. And what struck me the most immediately was how much her clients would disclose to her about their personal lives. Like on the first day I was there, there was this firefighter who came over who wanted to be infantilized, like dressed up like a baby and treated like a baby. And at the end of his session, he was talking to her about how him and his wife were about to become empty nesters and how that was really stressful for him. And it was putting stress on their relationship. And that how the ability to come and have these sessions was just making him feel so much better, so much less anxious. And he was talking about how he's wanted to tell his wife about his kink for years, but he just feels too much shame about it. Like he's scared that she's going to make fun of him, I guess. And then also in those first few days, there was a Hasidic Jew that came who wanted to be dressed up in women's underwear, which almost feels like too much of a cliche, honestly. And at the end of his session, he just broke down and started crying. Like I think that the release of the whole experience was so overwhelming for him. And she was just sort of nicely rubbing his back during it. And basically it just became really clear to me very quickly that the dominatrix isn't just some hot girl that they pay to beat them up. Like she sees these people at their most vulnerable and she knows things about them that their families, that their coworkers, that their friends are never going to know. And there was a lot of trust there, like because they had created this judgment-free bubble of transparency. And obviously there's a huge sexual component to it, but it's not just sexual. And I ended up becoming this woman's assistant for a year, which was ultimately good, but then I ended up quitting because she almost got me arrested during an erotic kidnapping, which is like a whole other story. 
But basically throughout that year, I saw this dynamic arise between her and her clients over and over again. So today I'm speaking with Jocelyn May. She's an escort who's been keeping her business going in some creative ways during this time, primarily over a website called OnlyFans. So for context for the interview, OnlyFans is a social media platform where users can post their own explicit content and then their fans can pay to view it. So here goes. So I started back in the days before Twitter, before social media, before any of that was a thing, right? Before there was a platform, before there was TV shows about sex workers and sugar babies, there was no one to learn from or emulate. And so when I started working, it was it was a very different industry back then. Uh, this is back in the Craigslist days and Backpage days. Uh, my very first ad was actually in a newspaper. <laughs> That's how long ago this was. Um, after a little while of doing what is considered survival sex work, and that is exchanging money for services or food or housing or drugs of people who are doing drug-based sex work. I was just trying to keep a cell phone on and feed myself at the time. But after a little while of doing that, I was like, you know, I'm, I'm not just, I'm not just, I'm not just doing this for a little bit of time. It looks like I'm staying. So let me treat it more like a job, right? I would wake up and I would treat it like a job. And then after a little, about a year or two of that, I was like, okay, <laughs> I'm not going anywhere. I've decided to stay this. I'm going to make it my career. And at that point, um, that's when the industry really started to shift. And there was a pivot in high-end, I'm making air quotes, high-end escorting, indoor escorting. And I started reading books on uh, the way luxury brands specifically had rebranded. Uh, Mercedes, Burberry, certain brands had been a known brand that had an idea or a service associated and how they changed it up and still did well. So I was reading books. I did an online college course because I wanted to know if I was going to stay escorting, how I could be the best at my job. And now fast forward 14 years and I'm still in it and I am indeed the best at my job. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, first of all, you had to be a lot more industrious, I think, to get into that line of work, like you said, when you did, because now the mm -hmm. internet makes that you know, sex work, first of all, so much more safe, right? I mean, as things are going right now. Yes. And also just so much easier to connect with clients. So I think... Right, right, right. When there, There's just other people to look at. I mean, at the time when I started, I'd never met another sex worker. I only knew derogatory terms for people who engaged in the sex industry. I only knew what society had told me about escorts and about the spread of disease and all these misinformation stereotypes that marginalize and stigmatize an already marginalized and stigmatized industry. I only knew the, the ugly of it. And you have to actually unlearn a lot of that as, as you go along. Um, I had to do a lot of unpacking my own stigma and shame before I could really embrace what I was doing and feel very proud of it. No, I mean, totally. There's, um, you know, we know now we, I don't know who I'm talking about, but the there's it's known <laughs> that the way that sex workers are portrayed in film and TV is really specific, right? Like if a um, yes. sex worker appears on in a movie or in a TV show, it's like she's more likely to be dead by the end of it, by the film or the episode than not. Like the way that we – Or she's doing drugs or she she looks real seedy and she's very ashamed of what she does or she's like that wanton whore, right? Like that, oh, I love this. I love being – you know, filthy. Like there, there isn't this narrative of being like, this is a job 
or I'm also a college professor and I dom on the side, or I paid my way through college, or there isn't any other narrative. You're right. It's, it's so narrow and very ignorant, really. And, and I think irresponsible uh, to portray all sex work like that. Right. It's either like you're a drug addict, like giving hand jobs for like McDonald's hamburgers or whatever, like a mm-hmm. joke, or you're mm-hmm. like a, like getting murdered in New Jersey in a ditch. Or like there's this sort of civilizing narrative. Like obviously everybody loves Pretty Woman, which I mean, you know, it's such a wonderful guilty pleasure movie, I mean, in my opinion. But then for sure. Th- I admit. Like the flip side of that is like um someone who gets saved by somebody it's like you are a sex worker and then like someone kind of swoops mm-hmm. in it's usually like a rich white guy and the, it's like you don't have to do that we like, call that here's we chanel call that the white knights <laughs> right yeah we call that the the, the white knight syndrome <laughs> um yeah it's true that it's either really ugly or there's this sort of like mentality of it's still commodifying idea but not in a way that puts the sex worker, the woman, usually in this case, a female in the narrative of controlling the narrative, right? It's her being like, oh, I'm so grateful for all this money. And I just drink champagne. And I was saved. And look at me just being luxurious all the time. And that's not it either. And and I think that something is that's really missing that I want to talk to you about today about sex work is that within the umbrella of sex work, there is a lot of genuine human interaction that is, you know, reciprocal and like loving and that's deeply emotional. And I think that's completely left out of the conversation. And I think, you know, that's why that's so much of what I want to talk to you about. Would you say that that is also your experience? So much of what I do and what I've done has been so deeply connective and meeting people where they need to be met. People often think, I forget who who quoted this, it was a sex worker online many years ago, that people always think sex work is about selling sex. And it's not. It's about escapism and honesty and fantasy and communication, right? It's about all these other things. It's about all the, the unseen factors that actually move human interaction. And I would say with my clients, certainly now at this stage in my career, they're all deeply deeply intimate relationships. You know, there's still a boundary and it's still a financial agreement, but I have deep love for, for, for many of these people, most of them, you know, there, there's something really beautiful about the boundaries that exist and that we can just leave everything out the door and just be really vulnerable and present. Being present is so hard for people. And it's nice to be able to create a platform for that, a vehicle for it. Right. And I think like, you know, there's this running joke, like, um, the job of a sex worker is 30% sex, 70% therapist or whatever. And they probably got the percentage sure, wrong. Sure, sure, But um, that, that I think that's so true. I mean, the times when I've seen clients with dominatrixes, when I was working for this dom, so much of a lot, a big part of the session was them talking about their life and like whether it was talking about their marriage or talking about the stress at their job. And it's because they're letting this person in. Sure. This person is seeing a part of themselves or their sexuality, yeah. something that's yeah. secret from everyone else. And it's kind of like free of shame, right? That you, in the same way that you create that bubble yes. ideally with your yes. therapist. Right. I think, I think that is so beautiful. And I mean, obviously sex work is such a, a it's like a contact sport. So it's one of the first jobs where you're not going to be able to go to work. Right. Like, and I know as, um, you know, when we have some mutual friends who work in the sex industry and, that they've been saying that, you know, beginning of March, their clients all 
pulled all their dates. I know a lot of girls are trying to, and guys are trying to find new ways to to digitize their job or to make money during this period of time. Is that something mm-hmm. that you're doing? Mm-hmm. And essentially, like, how has your business changed since all of this happened? It is something I'm doing. And the ways that it's changed has been pretty drastic. I will say, though, okay, let me not get ahead of myself. Um, the beginning of March, the first week, certainly the second week, when really we under kind of began to understand the scope of how big this pandemic really actually was, the seriousness of it, the global sex work business model almost vanished overnight. And that's a really challenging thing for an industry that relies on this form of income. If that's what you have and then you don't have it, like we don't qualify for stimulus checks from the government or health benefits from the government or anything like that, right? And so when you wake up one day and you suddenly have no income, zero income for the foreseeable half of the year, um, that created a lot of panic and misunderstanding and a lot of concern about, you know, what to do and how to do it. And I think, you know, the, the circumstances aren't ideal, but it has been so incredible seeing the sex work industry specifically. I mean, all industries really, truly are, are pulling and re-navigating, but it's always been so amazing watching sex workers reinvent the wheel. No one <laughs> is entrepreneurial and small business minded like sex workers are. Right. I mean, that's so interesting. I mean, clearly, if anyone is sort of adaptable in the face of adversity, it has to be sex workers, right? So the idea that people are changing their sure. jobs or For what sure. they're offering, what how what does that look like exactly? Like are people um having some sort of digital virtual intimacy? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Um I would say Across the board, you're seeing a lot of people talking about virtual services, virtual dating, distance dating. Um, I think most, not all, but most um, sex workers who had an online presence, you know, websites and social media, uh, they're offering like text packages for a week of texting or phone calls or video calls. People, I have many friends who are also, you know, they're sex workers, but they're also chefs or cooks or bartenders, and they're having dinner dates with clients over Skype where they both cook a meal together and then eat the meal on video. I mean, that's so beautiful. That's so cute. (laughs) Super cute. I love it. In the the week that this popped off, I think on March 14th, I was talking with my uh, Paris colleague, Heloise Gold, and she and I were talking about, you know, what it looks like and are we going to start an OnlyFans and do you do Skype dates? I don't yet. And how do you feel? Oh, I'm nervous of phone. And we were just having kind of a go back and forth talk and shop. And she goes kind of sarcastically, we should start a naked book club. And I was like, oh, cute. It was it was mostly kind of a joke. But then all of a sudden there was like this pause, like, oh, wait, oh, wait, we could start a naked book club. <laughs> oh, and then within a matter of minutes, we had formed what is now the Naked Quarantine Book Club. It's on OnlyFans. It has a website. We have thousands of followers and thousands of likes. And we're getting book readings from content creators and sex workers all over the world. Polyglots, multilingualists, men, women, trans folk. And the only rules of book club are that you read something published, you read aloud, and in some form of undress. It's kind of brilliant. And again, in in the wake of literally someone's business 
vanishing overnight, just evaporating. We were like, here's a way that people could still be making some money and maybe not going full face out or not feeling like they have to make porn, right? Like they can kind of like slip a nipple and read a book and cover their face. And it can be really flirty and cute. And it's been so beautiful seeing the response to this, not just from the erotic side of the world, like the, the actual creators and the, the sex workers, but the fans and the clients and the subscribers are eating it up. I'm very excited about the project. This sounds so, I mean, it's so fun. And I think that, um, you know, I saw on your website that you are now offering these like text packages, right? So like, you know, you're saying to your clients, obviously I can't yes. see you in person, but like I'll, you know, it's this much money to, te- to text with you for a day or, or this much money to text with you for a week. Like, do you find that this is appealing to clients? And what do you guys talk about? And like, do you think that that would surprise people? Um, I do have some text packages going and I've had a few calls, one video call with a couple of my suitors. And these are only two have been people I did not know previously. The others are, are actually like regulars of mine. And, um, it's, it's, it, it, I guess it would, it would kind of resemble what long distance dating would with a partner who maybe is half the time is based in Los Angeles and I'm in New York City, right? If I was dating someone, it's the same type of conversation. Some of us can be kind of a little flirty. Maybe we want have a wank and some sex over the phone. But the rest of the time, we're just kind of going to be like chatting and finding a way to like have inside jokes. I was I had a one day text package with a fella in the Midwest who was so smart. Oh, he was so smart and so sassy. And I really felt like we had like this little bit of like almost like a competitive vibe. And it was really, really playful and flirtatious. By the end of like our day chatting, I was talking about, you know, well, I'm going to ask your mom about your baby photos. And, and well, I want to know you like your, your natal chart reading or your position of your, you know, planets and your Venus. And you know, we, we actually had like inside jokes. Not exactly foreplay. <laughs> For me, at least. It, but it can be, right? If humor is foreplay and if that kind of like intimacy, if that kind of like jesting, that's very flirtatious and it can be foreplay or it can lead to foreplay. No, you're totally right, actually, because I mean, I, I'm being really um, basic here. It's like if you feel comfortable with someone and you feel like you have a rapport and you feel emotionally safe, like that's sexy. Mm-hmm, for sure. That's so funny, though, because I would imagine texting packages would just be like all sexting all the time or like, you know, I'm going to sext you when I get horny. But, it, it, you know, so is it just kind of like, what should I watch on Netflix? Like, it just kind of goes into a general <laughs> friend vibe. It's a, it, yeah. What do you think about, you know, that Tiger King? <laughs> um, it's, a, it's, it's, it's a little bit of that. But, yeah, but there is some like sexting. There are people who want to just sex, right? There are people who are like, can I set up a video call? How much would it be for like a half an hour of, you know, basically edging each other? And, you know, maybe he's like, I don't really want to be on camera for, you know, safety and discretion reasons, but I would like to watch you. Do you feel comfortable with that? I want to talk about these things. And it's just then is then it's just a sex call. So some people want to just sex and other people just kind of want to connect. And now the way we're reaching for connection and reaching for intimacy and reaching for pleasure it just looks different. And I think it's profoundly beautiful, honestly. I really agree. It's so sweet and it is uncomfortable, right? And it's so vulnerable. I mean, you're talking about all the ways that sex is vulnerable. Yes. But like, 
especially in new ways. And now what we're trying to get naked through a screen. We're trying to communicate in ways we haven't before. <laughs> sure. But then sure. on top of that, this is an incredibly vulnerable time for people. You know what I mean? Like my emotional <laughs> state, it like is- The stress is high. Yeah, there's a lot going yeah. on. Yeah. Like, I feel like in the morning, I'll be like, I'm great. I get to wake up late. I'm I'm feeling productive. Like, three hours later, I'm, like, crying because I spilled something on the floor. Like, I'm just, like, truly, yep. like, the most emotionally vol- volatile I've ever been. And I think a lot of people are feeling the same. And do you feel like people have different needs during this time? Like, are your clients, given the stress of this time, are they talking to you about different things? Or do they need different types of emotional support? Or is it just basically like the same as before except online? Um, I think it's, it's no, it's not the same as before, but online. It's, this is actually, I'm going to talk about it again. This is why what's so beautiful about the book club. Um, it is offering something that hasn't been done before, not in the sex industry anyways, and it is this little piece of intimacy that isn't inherently sexual. Um, I got a tip. It's a free account, but someone sent a tip at the very, very beginning. Like the first week it was open. Most tips that come through OnlyFans are $5, $10. You know, they, they're, they're beautiful. They're generous, but they're, they're small donations, right? They're small tributes. This one was a $200 tip. And the man said it was so beautiful he was like this is what is missing right now he's like i'm partnered at home in quarantine uh with my spouse and he's like there's only so many sexual and erotic and flirtatious and naked overt text messages and emails that you can handle he's like whereas here there's someone reading to me reading a book to me but she's also maybe naked but there's something that is so deeply beautiful and intimate about being read to or reading to someone. Um, and that is a lot of the feedback I'm getting is a lot of people are kind of looking for something that isn't actually so sexual. Well, I'm sitting here in the middle of my garden on a sunny afternoon in London in the middle of the lockdown, and I've been asked to say a few words about uh, the book club, which I am delighted to do. It was a pleasant surprise to come across it uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I'm not a f- regular user of OnlyFans. I basically use it to follow people that I already know and provide some support. Uh, but occasionally I check just to see what sort of things it has. And imagine my surprise when suddenly there was something on there uh, where half-naked women were reading books. And I find that just irresistible. Uh, uh, I've been enjoying learning uh, about some uh, writers that I had no knowledge of. Uh, I enjoy hearing the lovely accents of the readers. Uh, and I enjoy in particular the fact that they love these books. And as someone who loves books myself, I very much appreciate that. What a strange time we find ourselves in. I was very fortunate to find the Naked Quarantine Book Club very soon after it started on OnlyFans. So I logged on, listened to the then current post, which was uh, Stephen Rise, and was immediately hooked. In the time before quarantine, one of my favorite intimate activities was reading to my partner or having my partner read to me, sometimes as a prelude to foreplay and other times as the epilogue 
And I knew that in isolation, it would be something I would sorely miss. So the book club has been a wonderful escape, filling a little of the void I'm feeling at the moment. So yes, I'm a great fan of the uh, OnlyFans Naked Quarantine Book Club. Um, it's funny, it's, uh, it's sexy. Uh, what could be better than, than seeing pretty people um, reading good literature with beautiful voices? And it's certainly provided a, a feeling of some kind of connection in this time when, when we have, none of us have enough connection. I've started reading to my clients in the customs and, you know, they're sending me custom orders, you know, through the DMs on OnlyFans. They want me to read or they want me to narrate something for them or they just want vocal. They don't want me like masturbating, fingering myself and the toys that they, they want something more soft. And I think that's a lot of what we're seeing right now. That makes so much sense. Looking for something softer. I think people right now are really, everything is so uncertain and chaotic and stressful. People want stability. There's so much fear and uncertainty. Mm -hmm. Right. People want empathy. You know, I think it's like there is something mm -hmm. sort of mm -hmm. funny that guys where it's like, they'd usually be like, can you masturbate like for me? And now they're like, can you basically be my mom and read me a bedtime story? Except like simultaneously <laughs> have your tits out. Like, um, you know, you've been talking about OnlyFans. Can you describe what OnlyFans is? Oh, sure. Of course. Um, so there are two main platforms that are subscription sites. There's Patreon and OnlyFans. Patreon is more straight-laced, more vanilla, more civilian, if you will. Whereas OnlyFans, it's mostly erotic workers, not just sex workers, anyone who wants to, you know, a nude male model, you know, or, you know, it, it's people who are making erotic content, videos, photos, book readings. So it, it's a paywall. It's all behind a paywall. If you come to my account, Jocelyn May, you have to subscribe for $15, and then you have access to everything on the page. And then if you want, you can contact me in the DMs and request a custom video or a reading or whatever. And that is how the platform works. It's a paywall for content. I see. Okay. And then this is something that sex workers were using before coronavirus, but now it seems like as people are digitizing their, their jobs, that there's an influx of people onto it because I've been hearing people talk about it all the time now. Definitely. Yes. But again, in a wake where we, we woke up on say, you know, March 11th, 13th, 14th, and suddenly we, we, we had no work for the foreseeable future. A lot of people were like, well, I, I guess I'm peddling smut now, <laughs> you know, online. Um, I feel like a lot of people kind of were uneasy about that or kind of felt some stigma and shame about that. Cause again, OnlyFans is associated with porn pornography, amateur porn. And again, it's been really, really clever and exciting seeing people who don't make porn the way I don't make porn, making erotic content that feels like it still feeds them. And I'm seeing a lot of that. And I think it's really, really exciting. I'm so proud of, of my industry. I'm so proud of my friends and my colleagues watching them chase that bag and, you know, <laughs> doing something that they feel proud of. Have you had a, any notable interactions with clients during this um, period of quarantine, like something that someone asked for or just a really nice interaction that you've had that was surprising? Um, yes, uh, several. Uh, and they've largely been through, through, through OnlyFans. Um, I had someone – I posted something that was kind of personal, uh, not so much about Jocelyn, but me as, a, as my – my personhood, my autonomy outside of the sex industry. But I posted about it, a story about candlelight and candles and growing up with candles 
I grew up in a part of the world where there was a lot of blackouts and natural disasters and brownouts and we'd be without electricity, but we were also very poor and we used candles as a way of being able to see and have vision. It wasn't so much a response to the darkness, but a different way of having vision and also a way of like making a dollar stretch. <laughs> you know, we, we were broke and so we used candlelight at night. And but I but I, I'm writing this story on OnlyFans and I'm writing it with this incredible photo set I took of me nude in candlelight. Um, and someone responded with this this love letter in the DMs that honest to God, it made me cry. It was it was just so beautiful. And it's wild because I post that being like, I don't know if other people are going to connect to my words. They're going to think these photos are hot because they are. The photos are good, but I don't know if anyone's actually going to connect to these words, but I posted it anyways. And now I know I was posting it like for him, him talking about the way he grew up in the rural mountains and was raised by his grandparents and that, you know, they use candles like this and that he's like, I've, I've read this multiple times. I just keep going back and reading and thank you so much. I feel so blessed to have read this tonight. I mean, you're getting not just me, but I'm, I'm talking with friends and colleagues with these deep seated like gratitude from the core of someone's being. Um, but I've been having only really beautiful interactions um, with people. And it's, it's, it's making this time that is otherwise, you know, it is very stressful. Um, and there is uncertainty and fear and all, all these really the big, the big emotions, the power emotions that are evolved in this pandemic and the ways affecting us. It is kind of making me feel at ease because of these interactions I've been able to have virtually. I this all makes sense. I mean, it's so so nice to hear. I just feel like you're totally right. We all we like are desperate for connection. We're desperate for empathy, and it's exactly what you said. It's like even you know, quote unquote, the normal world that sex work is so much more about emotional connection than people realize. That now it feels like that this period of quarantine has increased that even more. It seems like from what you're saying. I, I definitely. And um, the way we reach right now, the way we reach for connection, um, it's much more nuanced. And I think it's much more powerful. It feels more powerful, more poignant than I think it has in all my 14 years combined in the industry. That's what I love about my, my job and my career is that, yeah, it's about, you know, getting fucked and having fun and being nasty and fun and sexual, but it's it's largely about all the mechanisms and the marionette strings that move that, that move that movement and those emotions. And that's all very sensitive and lovely and soft behind the lines. So it's not just the sex industry that's been doing well during this period. When stay-at-home orders started, sex toy companies saw a big jump in sales. Interesting. <laughs> so next I'm speaking with Alicia Sinclair, She's a sex educator, and she's the founder of LaWand, which is a brand of premium sex toys designed with all bodies in mind. And she has some interesting insight into the world's apparent new vibrator addiction. So here goes. So you own a sex toy company, which is a very cool job, in my opinion. <laughs> and it's the job that every little girl <laughs> hopes to grow up to have. Um, can you Dreams tell me <laughs> um, a big reason that I wanted to speak with you is that, you know, there's all these articles online about how people can't stop buying sex toys during this time that for some reason, while most businesses are failing, COVID has really been um, really beneficial for sex toy companies. And have you found that like, are people buying 
more of your products than usual? It definitely seems that way. It seems like we've had a huge boost in sales, specifically in March and April. That trend does seem to be continuing. That's... It's so interesting. Do you have any idea why? I mean, do you hear anything from your clients or or is your guess just as good as anybody's? You know, my personal beliefs are that, you know, sex toys are a form of entertainment and they also are replicating human interaction. So just like people are engaging a lot more in live IGs or Zoom calls or being very creative with how they connect with their friends. Uh, They're connecting with their sexuality in a different way. And a lot of that is through the use of sex toys. Right. In one of our earlier episodes, we interviewed this guy. He's a research fellow at the Kinsey Institute. His name is Dr. LaMiller. He's studying how COVID is affecting people's sex lives and relationships. And he was saying that people are reporting increasing sexual novelty during this period of time. Not everybody, but there is a subset of people where partnered or not, that they're trying new things. And that um, like, especially when everything kind of feels like routine and can feel kind of slow, that people are seeking out the adventure in whatever ways they can. And like, you know, using a new toy with by yourself or with your partner could, in theory, um, be one of those ways. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah, I mean, you know, people are bored and horny. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and also, you know, at the at the base level. I think I think also we want to feel good and we want to take on new adventures that make us feel good right now. And sex has, you know, whether that's with yourself or with a partner, has the ability to, you know, it's a dopamine release. You actually physically feel good, helps you sleep better, relieves anxiety. So beyond just being like a really fun thing to do at home, whether again, yourself, like, you know, with yourself or with a partner, it's, it also really genuinely makes you feel better. That's a good point. It's almost like you should maybe push yourself to masturbate, you know, even if you're not in the mood, it's like, (sighs) there is so much that like the dopamine release of that. It's kind of like how you have to push yourself to exercise. Like maybe we should be pushing ourselves to masturbate. (laughs) That's my enlightened idea for everybody. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I agree. I agree. You always feel better after you exercise and perhaps you always feel better after you masturbate. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like depending on what porn you're watching anyways. Um, So (laughs) do you, I don't know if you have these stats. (laughs) I don't know if you have these stats, but do you know like what kind of toys people are buying right now? Like, is it just, oh, every kind of toy we have is increasing in sales or are people buying a certain kind of thing? I mean, for us specifically, you know, we primarily make external wand style vibrators and small like mini vibes. Yeah. And I would say we're seeing our best sellers just sell more. And what's nice about it is we're also seeing them come and buy that and then buy a lot of accessories to go with it. So sort of investing, if you will, for like the long haul. So rather than just buy the item, (laughs) they're buying all of the complimentary products that go with it. I see. And Did you say when we were talking on the phone last time that people are buying more butt plugs or did I forget that I remember that wrong? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So the first in the early (laughs) days, um, New York released, uh, I think it was New York city, like a guideline for safe sex. And there was like specifically said something along the lines of do not have anal sex, even with your quarantined partner. And we, we had a few people reach out to us through customer service and, and ask for guidance. 
which I also thought was pretty interesting. But yes, we did see an uptick in sales of our beginner booty set um, online. We were like, what are, what's with all this butt plug sales? But it is interesting how it, how it reflected in that way. What? That doesn't even, so like people read, first of all, that whole guideline thing was so funny where they also basically are telling people to masturbate, like the safe sex is with yourself. It's like, thanks, New York state. What? But like the idea that they were like, don't have butt sex. And then people were like, cool. So I guess I'm going to focus more on like having butt sex. (laughs) Like, like they remembered it existed. Exactly, exactly. Like, oh, yeah. Right. Like, there's something I can do. And, you know, as you're also a sex educator, is there anything that you would say to people, you know, singles or couples during this time as sort of advice or reassurance or just like kind of what would you say if you could say something? Um, I would say it's really normal for your desire to be shifting and changing. I think, you know, pretty much everyone that I've connected with and, and my, even my own personal experiences, there's periods of time where, you know, like there's been, a, we've had a lot of great sex, my partner and I, and then there's been times where it's been really stressful and there hasn't been any. And I've heard that repeatedly throughout my friend network. Um, mm-hmm. I also think it's pretty normal to have mis mismatched desire and that that's going to happen, you know, masturbation can be a separate lane to your partner sex. And it's actually pretty healthy. And it can be a great fill in for someone who might be horny on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and their partner is only on Thursday. (laughs) You know, so sort of take it easy, take take it easy on yourself and take it easy on your partner. Yeah. And I think that I've heard kind of nice stories during this time about people showing up sexually for their partners in ways that are outside the box. And whether it be like, hey, I'm not feeling very sexual right now, but like, I would love to give you a naked massage or whatever it is to try and be supportive at a time when people's sexualities are kind of eh, unpredictable or not forefronted or whatever that may be. Yeah, I think that's wise advice. You know, there's, if you think about a lot of sexuality, oftentimes it's about connection with your partner. And that connection can look, as you said, many different ways, you know, stimulating somebody through, I don't know, tickling their tummy while they're masturbating, or, you know, really having a beautiful makeout session with them, while they're playing with themselves is also pretty hot, you know, and it doesn't have to look exactly the way that sort of regular sex does. Right. And just like, ultimately, one of the things I think that has been my biggest takeaway from writing about sex and talking to people about sex for, you know, years and years is that just to expand your idea of what sex is in general, right? Like this idea that having sex is penetrative sex with a penis and a vagina. It's just like, it's just so reductive. And I think it, you know, it excludes a lot of different types of queer sex, which is kind of like the most obvious example of why we need to move on from that. But also it, uh, I think it like sort of makes you mentally discount what are really like nice and connective sexual interactions and exchanges with your partner. And, you know, it's like, if you guys are masturbating together or like touching each other while you like in a sexual way during this period, because you don't actually want to have penetrative sex. Like, I don't think that means you're not fucking, you know, it's like, I think we just need to like rid ourselves of these like really strict sort of arbitrary guidelines of like what counts as sex and what doesn't. Yeah, I mean, it's openness towards different experiences and ways of having sex is actually going to empower your relationship. If you think about it as a menu and on your, say, sex menu, 
you have 20 different items, it's a lot more fun than just having one or two. Yeah, good point. Yeah, expand the menu, which is a good uh, advice for, I guess, your entire life. Well, thank you very much again for listening to another episode of Love in Quarantine. If you like this podcast, I would really appreciate it if you would subscribe and give us a rating. Love in Quarantine is created and produced by me, Carly Shortino, and Rachel Rapkin. Produced in partnership with Blue Duck Media. Bye!